Um, so we introduced these practices uh, in evangelism last year, and so we just want to revisit them. Pray, pursue, prepare, proclaim, practice, plan. Today's leadership community is brought to you by the letter P. You got it. Um, but we're not revisiting these as sort of an underhanded rebuke. It's not like, okay, people aren't being faithful in evangelism, so we need to you know, pound on it a little bit more. Uh, we need to do some training on it. But, um, and evangelism isn't really like tacking on another thing that we have to do. Evan was asking me before leadership community, he said, uh, where's Evan? There he is. He's like, is it a busy time in your kid's life right now? And I said, oh yeah, baby, it is a busy time. Three kids and three different activities, but it seems like they all have something at the same time. So life can feel busy, and sometimes when you talk about evangelism and responsibility, it's like, oh, another thing that I'm supposed to do. But it's not that. You know, when Jesus talked to his disciples and said, go and make disciples, his instruction was, as you go, on the way, in the middle of your going, look for opportunities to invite people uh, into relationship with me. So that's, that's the way that we want to approach evangelism. We're not launching an initiative um, and we're not, but we're revisiting these principles so that we just might be intentional, intentional, but then also just faithful, living as Christ's ambassador. So I want to introduce you to our evangelism philosophy at River. Actually, this won't be an introduction because you probably already know the philosophy, but you may not know that you know the philosophy. Are you ready for it, Grant? Okay. One word. Anybody want to take a guess what our philosophy of evangelism is? It's okay. You can speak it out loud. I heard somebody say, but I didn't understand what that meant. Relationship. Hey, that's a good one. That's kind of the context within which we want to do evangelism. Relationship. Invest. Hey, hey. It is one word. Starts with an F and ends with a ness. Hey, good job. Woo, you can have some more candy afterwards. Faithfulness. 1 Corinthians 3, 6. Paul speaking here and he says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered, but God made it grow. Paul and Apollos were both being faithful to do their part and God brought the increase. You might think of our approach or our philosophy on evangelism being left column and right column living. Live in the right column and leave the left column to God. Everything that we're going to talk about today is in the right column. And the left column's off limits for us because the results belong to God. Now, let's just think for a minute, why is it important for us to stay out of the results column? Stay out of that left column. There's lots of ideas, but I just want us to think about one, and that is perfection. Since we're using the letter P, let's use perfection. That's a reason to stay out of the results column. For me, if I um, go to the results column, then I start to think, man, this all depends on me. I've got to do this presentation just right. My friend isn't, hasn't accepted Christ. I must be messing up somehow. I've got to work and work and work and get this just right. When I take responsibility for the results, or when we take responsibility for the results, we begin selling instead of telling. My focus becomes on closing the deal rather than faithfully presenting the truth. So 
Our goal is to be faithful to tell and not to sell. We want to leave the results to God. The Holy Spirit, he's the one who convicts and convinces. We're the ones who present. As Paul said, my message, my preaching, they weren't with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on man's wisdom, but on God. So as we go through these um, evangelism practices, they're not in a specific order. They're not steps to evangelistic success. They are disciplines that you can build into your personal life and then also build into the life of your group to help develop a missional lifestyle. And there's a handout there. You've got little six boxes, and each one of those boxes has one of these practices in it. So we're going to go through those, and you can make notes in each of those boxes um, if you want to. Now, I am going to ask you guys to do one thing. It's going to make you a little uncomfortable, Ty, if you're okay with that. You can handle it. You can do it. Um, I, what we're going to do is we're going to work in partners a little bit. So I'll talk through these P's of these practices, and then I'm going to give you some discussion questions to talk about with your partner, okay? What I'd like for you to do, this is the uncomfortable part, I'd like for you to partner with somebody maybe you wouldn't normally partner with. Tim DeFore, this is easy for you. You love everybody, and you, you, know, you can talk to anybody. But the reason for that is so that you could learn from somebody else that you might not normally engage with, okay? You guys okay with being uncomfortable on Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock? Garrett? Kelly's not. So Garrett, you're with Kelly, okay? So let's take a minute right now, and you'll have to get all your stuff. You can pick up your snacks if you like those, and go find someone to partner with. Someone that maybe you know, Evan, but you don't know real well, Okay? Now I've got to get all you gathered back together. Good job. So we're going to talk about our first practice here, pray. And it's, you know, we don't need to, I don't need to go into a long spiel trying to convince you that we need to pray. If the results rest with God in evangelism, then we need to be talking to him. We need to be listening to him. But praying with eyes to see. It's easy for me to pray, do it regularly, but sometimes I pray and then I sort of go out of my quiet time and just get busy with my life. But really asking God to help me pray and then look as well, praying with eyes to see. So here are three groups that you could pray for. Um, Pray for yourself. Pray that you would keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Um, Bill Hybels in his book, Walk Across the Room, he said, I am more convinced than ever that the absolute highest value in personal evangelism is staying attuned to and cooperative with the Holy Spirit. I was praying for myself recently in my quiet time and asking God to help me know how to be friends with a guy in my life. I had met him, but we had relatively nothing in common. Uh, I met him because we were neighbors, and so I was praying, God, help me know how to be a friend to him. Help me. And so the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, hey, Rodney, this is what friends do. They talk to each other. So I put, hit the pause button on my quiet time. Yeah, I know that's life-shattering, Jamie. Um, I hit the pause button on my quiet time, and I just sent him a text. Hey, something really profound, like, hey, what's up? And he texted me back. We just texted back and forth throughout the day. And uh, then that resulted in him coming over to my house because of something we had texted about and just, you know, our relationship's growing because... I was talking to him, but I really wouldn't have thought about that had I not said, 
God, help me know how to be his friend, praying for myself. Um, But also pray for other believers. We should pray for each other. Pray for people in your group. Pray for our church as a whole that we would be active in sharing our faith. Um, Paul said that. He said, I pray that you would be active in sharing your faith. So Paul was praying for other believers to be active in sharing their faith. Paul also said, hey, pray for me that I would be bold and share when I should. So praying for other believers. And pray for your unchurched friends. That's the, obviously the third group. But here's some specific ways that you could pray. Pray that God would draw them to himself. John six forty four. Pray that they would seek God. Acts seventeen twenty seven. Um, pray that the Holy Spirit would convict them. Pray that they would actually see the truth. Um, Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So praying that they would begin to see the truth. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. So those are three groups that you could pray for. Um, But in this room, there is a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge with regards to being faithful to pray. So what I'd like for you to do right now is just talk with your partner and you can answer these questions. I know you guys were probably furious trying to write down some of my thoughts, but that stuff will be online. You can get it later. But talk to your partner about these questions. Um, What does prayer regarding evangelism look like in your life? Do you have a list? How do you do it? What's helped? What's made it difficult? And it's okay for you to say, I got to be honest, I I don't really pray faithfully for evangelism. That's an okay answer. But talk about it with your partner. And then if you learn something, from someone, here's how we'll do this. If you learn something that you think, man, everybody needs to know this, I will give you a minute later and you could say, you know, Kelly told me something really great that I think everybody should hear. So you can share that with us, Garrett. Does that sound like a good plan? All right. So take a minute now and just talk about what prayer looks like in your life. And then we'll move on to the next, the next one. So the next uh, thing that we want to talk about, the next practice is pursuing um, trust relationships. Now this is a picture of my 8th grade son at his chess tournament. If you haven't been at a chess tournament, it's not really that exciting. (laughs) But I found myself there on a Saturday, uh, not too many Saturdays ago. What's so funny, Oliver? Yes. Uh, anyway, what's that? No, no, I told Jesse beforehand, I was like, I'm going to be the guy up in the stands. Come on, son! Oh, not the pawn! Not the pawn! But I, I didn't. Anyway, uh, you got me distracted. <laughs> it's a good thing I don't talk on Sundays and just sing. That keeps me, like, focused. But anyway... Um, I was at Jesse's chess tournament, Oliver. Thank you for getting me back on track. And he, um, I'm kind of ashamed to say this, but it's, I was there and I did not want to be there. This is Saturday and 8 o'clock in the morning till 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And that was just the first shift. Tiffany relieved me from 1 to 6. And I'm working the concession stand at the chess tournament. I did learn that chess kids... They like Sour Patch 
candy and dill pickles. Those were the two popular items at the concession stand. But I'm sitting there and I'm seething. God, I do not want to be here. I would rather be at home by myself (laughs) or working in the basement. And I was just being selfish. And then I looked at this crowd of people and I thought, these are not my people, God. This is not the group that I want to be with. And, and it's, it's kind of funny, but it's also, it's kind of pathetic. I mean, honestly, it's sad that I would think I'm better than them. Um, but those were some of the thoughts that I had. And thankfully, the Holy Spirit began to rebuke me. And uh, I looked next to me, and there was Dennis, who was also like me. He did not want to be there. Um, we were working concessions together. And I thought, okay, I'm going to just talk to this guy. And so he's, he's from Hong Kong. It was easy to tell he wasn't from Kansas. So I could ask him the easy question, hey, where are you from? And we got to talk. And we didn't have great spiritual conversations, but I just, with the Holy Spirit's help, thankfully, I kind of got out of myself and like, Rodney, this is just not about you. No one drug you to chess with a gun to your head. You're here. This is part of your as you go. So as you're here, make the most of this opportunity and pursue a relationship with somebody um, I was reading some, doing some research. Forbes magazine said that the number of Americans with no close friends has tripled in recent years. Uh, the same survey, the number of people that Americans trust to talk to about important things has fallen from three to two. So the need for trusted friendship certainly hasn't gone down. It's probably gone up, and it goes up as you get older. I, would, I know it has for me. But the resources have been cut by a third. And I I promise you, there are people that come here on Sunday morning that are lonely. They're looking for connection. They're looking for relationship. So pursuing trust relationship just means, God, help me to have my eyes open to connect with people. This is a quote from Packer. It's kind of a long quote, but it's really important for me. So I want to read it, read it to you. Uh, This was in his book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. He said, the truth is is that real personal evangelism is very costly just because it demands of us a really personal relationship with the other person. We have to give ourselves an honest friendship to people if ever our relationship with them is to reach the point at which we're justified in choosing to talk to them about Christ and in speaking to them about their own spiritual needs without being either discourteous or offensive. If you wish to do a personal evangelism, then... And I hope you do, you ought to pray for the gift of friendship. A genuine friendliness is in any case a prime mark of a man who is learning to love his neighbor as himself. Hybels gave us some tips as I was reading his book about pursuing relationships. He calls it living in 3D. So he says, develop friendships by just engaging in the lives of people. Have an eye to develop friendships. God, I don't know where you're at work but I think you're at work in this person's life, or you could be, and you might just want to use me. So develop friendships. Discover stories, he says, before sharing your own story. Um, People really like to talk about themselves. So instead of me dominating the conversation, discover their story. Get to know more and more about them. And then he said, discern next steps by following the Holy Spirit's direction. I really think for us, personally and as we lead our groups that the groundwork in evangelism is really done in these two disciplines pray and pursue pray and pursue 
So, you know, ask God to help you notice people. Smile when you're at the grocery store. Talk to your waiter. Look for people at church you don't know. Take an interest in your coworker or your neighbor. Ask God to show you the needs that people might have and look for opportunity to, to meet those needs. So let's, let's just think about this pursuing for a minute, and you can talk with your partner about this. How have you effectively pursued others and made friends? What are some barriers? Um, Terry kind of talked about this this morning, just accepting others and really embracing them in our lives. And how have you overcome those barriers? So talk about that for a little bit, and then we'll move on to the next, next practice. The, the next one we have on the list here is prepare, and prepare, and this is prepare your heart to share the gospel, and this is something that you're all already doing. We did it this morning, just by being here on Sunday and hearing the gospel, um, hearing um, is, is really a way for us to prepare, because the purpose of preparing is for us to remember, um, to remember what God has done. When you have a quiet time, you're preparing. We take communion together you remember. And so you're actually preparing to, to share the gospel because you're just letting the gospel reality of what Christ has done soak into your heart and mind. From the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So letting this be something that you revisit often. Um, for me, as I was going through this, I thought, I remember the fact that I once was lost, but now I'm found. You know, for those of us that have been found for a long time, it's easy to forget I once was lost. Um, but God, I was a sinner and you saved me. And you can save this person that I'm pursuing. We, we also remember that people are actually lost and separated from God. I know when I was living in Vancouver, um, I began to sort of think, oh man, all the, these people are okay. They're, they're, they're fine. And you forget the, the spiritual reality that they are separated from God. Um, they seem okay and everything seems to be going fine for them. And that might be true, but the reality is they are lost. Um, and Terry kind of touched on this a little bit this morning, but we remember that sin is kind of a normal part of the unbeliever's life. It's, it's not okay, but it is normal. They're slaves to sin. So the reason I think it's important for us to remember this is that way we're not kind of repulsed by their, we are repulsed by their sin, but we don't kind of withdraw from them because it's normal for them to practice destructive patterns. And it could be easy for us to just separate ourselves. I don't want to be their friend, but we still want to be their friend because that's, that's normal for them. Emily started middle school this year and uh, <clears throat> she came home from school and she was shocked. She said, mom, they cuss a lot. They cuss all the time. And uh, I'm really glad that Emily was appalled. If you know Emily, you could just kind of picture her saying that. Um, I'm glad that she was appalled, but man, Emily is still trying to be their friend. You know, she's, she's going up to and hugging these little girls and just, she's happy to be there. She doesn't like what they're doing, but she's still hanging around with them. Um, so I'm not saying embrace sin, but just remember that people are still a slave to sin. So look, we're not going to discuss this, this one this time, but I just want to tell you one of the things I've been doing that's helped me uh, in terms of 
preparing, and that is I've just been reading Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 over and over. I read it almost weekly, and it's, it's been so helpful um, just to personalize it. At the beginning there, it says, but you, you were once slave to sin. Rodney, you were. This was actual reality for you. And there's two important phrases that I've focused on as I've gone through that passage. There's a part in there where it says, but God, who is rich in mercy. So I was a slave if it wasn't for God. And then after that, it says, and God. So, but God and God. He's, he, inter- he intervened and he's still involved in my life. So you're already preparing, but just encourage you to keep doing that and keep um, remembering Um, the reality of what God has done in your life. The next thing we're going to talk about is practicing sharing the gospel. Just have a clear presentation of the gospel ready to share. The gospel is good news. It's words to share. Yes, it's demonstrated in our lives, and it's shared in the context of trust relationships, but it's still news. And, you know, sharing the words is really where maybe we can get most nervous or the sweaty palms or the knots in our stomach. And you might think, well, can we practice enough and be polished enough to eradicate those nerves? Probably not. Um, You know, I stand up in front of you guys every Sunday, and I'm still a little bit nervous on Sunday mornings. But that doesn't mean that I don't prepare and do the work. Um, Honestly, I've, I've kind of looked down on practicing a gospel presentation a little bit, and here's the reason I've looked down on it. I want it to be natural. You know, I just want it to flow with ease in the context of the conversation. I don't want to practice. I want it to just be, you know, smooth and like easy and not canned. But that's just silly. That's kind of stupid, to be honest with you. When I think about what I do on Sunday mornings, the songs I sing on Sunday with the most clarity and ease and they come out, no problem. Those are the ones that I've sung a million times. I've memorized them. I know them. They're easy for me, and actually they have more meaning. So practicing is really important. And for me, as I sort of poo-pooed on practicing in my mind, um, I started thinking about this logically. If, if God is the one drawing people to himself, okay, and he wants to use people as his ambassadors to make his love known, so God's doing the drawing, and he wants to use people to do that, Wouldn't it make sense for God to lead people to those who are ready and willing to share? Ones who have got something that they're ready to say whenever the time time is right. So that makes sense to me. So don't be like me and look down on practicing. Let's, Let's live in the right column and do what we can to be prepared to give an answer. So we've talked about a few different gospel presentations. There's one on the back of the bulletin. Um... The bridge illustration, I know some of you use Share Jesus Without Fear. Um, Some of you have used stories from Scripture. I've been around you when you've done that. Some of you maybe have your personal testimony, but have a presentation handy, one that you're comfortable with. Um, Trace has been using Two Ways to Live. Christian Challenge is using this gospel presentation called Two Ways to Live. And so Trace is going to come now and talk to us a little bit about that and kind of instruct us on how to use this this gospel presentation like rodney said uh the challenge group the challenge leaders we've gone through uh memorizing the two ways to live gospel presentation it's something that we have done to try to be prepared to try to be ready for opportunities that we have 
they do have a mobile app, which has been helpful for me, especially just to practice. I'm not into pulling my phone out and walking through the gospel on my phone, but it's been helpful for me to practice. So if you want to look at it later and practice, you can download the app and, and walk through it that way. But I just want to preface all of this by saying that, that um, there was planning and preparation and praying that led into us sharing at the start of the semester. I'm going to share this gospel presentation with you, but I'm going to share it with you in the context of a real-life story, a real-life experience that I had, conversation that I had with a student. And just know that leading up to this, we all got together as a leadership team, and we were practicing this with one another. And then throughout that week, I was practicing in my empty living room, just sharing the gospel with my wall. And uh, I, I wasn't able to bring my wall to faith, but it was good for me to practice. So, so I'm practicing, I'm praying, and then really we just went where the people were. So move-in day, people are moving into the dorms, and we're just going to be there. And we're going to help people and try to talk to people. And I met a guy during move-in day, we're just going to say his name is Tom. And I met lots of people that day, and I don't really remember knowing much about Tom from that day. But the next day, which would have been a Sunday morning, I was sitting in my office just down the hallway, and Tom texted me, and we have, I have the text up here. And the reason that I show you the text is so that you see that God was the one who was doing all of the work here. So I, was, I planned, I prepared, I prayed, I went where the people were, but it was God who was really working in this student's life. And so I get this text on a Sunday morning, and I say, of course, let's meet for dinner tonight. So I go to the cafeteria, I meet with Tom, I just start asking him basic questions about his life, where he came from, what he's studying, his family situation, and into that conversation, he starts to tell me about his religious background. And he ultimately tells me that he's a Christian. Um, but I felt like the Spirit was telling me, don't, don't accept that answer. Keep going. And so the question that I had anticipated uh, maybe needing to use was, if you were going to share your faith with someone who wasn't a Christian, what would you say? What would you tell them about what's at the core of what you believe? And so I asked him that question, and his response was actually really good. He said, I believe that there's one God. I believe that he sent his son to die for me so that I could have a relationship with him. And that that person was Jesus and that I put my faith in him. And I thought, wow, that was a really good, that was a pretty solid answer. Um, But again, I felt like the Spirit saying, don't stop. And so I said, that's good. I agree with that. Do you mind if I share with you what I believe? And he said, sure. And so I pulled a napkin out of the napkin holder on the table. And I had a pen with me. And I just walked through this gospel presentation with him. So I'm going to walk through it with you now. Basically, it's telling the story of God in five chapters. And the first chapter is this, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. The birds of the air, the fish of the sea, the creatures that creep along the ground. And he created mankind as the apex of his creation in a unique role. And the role of mankind was to serve underneath him as his stewards, but over the world that he had made. And mankind was to do that according to the order that God had created for the universe. And Genesis 1.31 that tells us us that after God had done all of this, he looked at everything that he had made and it was very good. But there's a problem. When we look around at the world today, it's not very good. There's a lot of really evil things that happen. We just read about a shooting that happened in Texas today at a church. The world is not a good place. 
And the Bible tells us why that is. Because shortly after God created this order, mankind rebelled against God. And the Bible calls that rebellion sin. And essentially what mankind did was stepped out from underneath God as ruler. Mankind decided we know better than God how to rule this earth. We don't really need, need him. We'll do it ourselves. And Romans 3.23 tells us that sin has affected us all. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And there are consequences for that sin. This is the third chapter. The third chapter is that there are consequences. Those consequences are physical death, spiritual death, which is separation from God, and everlasting punishment. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. So that's bad news for us. But thankfully, thankfully, that's not the end of the story. There is good news. And the good news is this, is that while we were yet sinners, God sent his one and only son into the world to live the life that we should have lived and to die the death that we deserved so that we could be restored to God. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us so that in him we can become the righteousness of God. So there's an exchange that happens. Jesus comes to earth, fully God, fully man, lives the life we should have lived, and then extends to us the righteousness that only he deserves. And then he takes our sin, and he bears it on a cross. But that's not the end of the story. Jesus is buried and raised on the third day, and God sets him over creation as its new king. And someday Jesus will return to judge the world, each of us, depending on righteousness or sin. And John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever does not believe in the Son will not see life, for the wrath of God remains on him. And so that really leaves us with two ways to live. The first way to live is to continue to live in rebellion against God, to continue to live in sin, to say, I know better how to run my life than God does. And to choose to live that way. And if we live that way, we face the consequences, which are physical death, separation from God, and eternal punishment. And God is just to do that because of our failure. But the second way to live is to submit to Jesus as king, to step underneath his rule, and to live according to the order that he told us to live. And if we do that, then we can have eternal life and a fullness of life on earth. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you'll be saved. And then I, so I asked Tom, which way would you say that you're living? And he, he, was, he had red eyes at this point, And he told me, he thought about it for a minute, and then he said, I don't think I could really say that I've ever trusted Jesus with my life. And so I said, well, what, what's stopping you from doing that? What's, what's getting in the way of that? And he thought for another minute, and then he said, I don't really know. I'll have to get back to you on that. And I said, okay, think about it, and let's talk another time. And then we finished eating dinner, and that was the end of our conversation. And just to tell you how this story ends, uh, Tom ended up going to another Christian ministry on campus. I know the director of that ministry and I've talked to him since then and found out that the day after I shared with Tom, this guy and one of his students also shared with Tom in his dorm room. And uh, Tom is now going to their ministry, went to their fall retreat a couple weeks ago. 
And Tom's on my prayer list, and I'm praying for him. And occasionally I see this director, and I ask him, hey, how's Tom going? And he gives me an update. So he hasn't trusted Jesus with his life yet, but we've been faithful. So we've done what we can do. So that's the two ways to live, gospel presentation. Again, there's a mobile app uh, by the same name, two ways to live, if you want to look, look that up and practice it. Um, so the next one, proclaim, which is um, identify with Christ. And this is, this is just a thought for us to think about. Um, we've talked about it before. We've called it spiritual potato chips, you know, just kind of seasoning your conversations with your life with God. And uh, these are my favorite potato chips, in case you're wondering. But um, just saying something about your life and God's activity, which in your life, kind of leaving people with a desire for more. Every spiritual conversation that we have doesn't have to tell the whole story. You know, in Trace's conversation with Tom, if Tom was like, whoa, this is, I don't know if I can, I'm not sure if I want to keep talking about this, that'd be okay. They could leave it there because God's at work and they could come back to it another time. Proclaiming doesn't have to be, um, to use a football analogy, getting the ball on the 25-yard line and moving the ball the length of the field in one play. That might happen. Those are, it's exciting when that does, but it doesn't have to happen. It's faithfully moving the ball as you have opportunity, five yards at a time, ten yards at a time. And this is where it's important for us to keep in step with the Holy Spirit, praying for yourself and discern how to move the ball forward. Like Trace was saying, he just, the Holy Spirit was speaking to him and said, hey, you need to go here, you need to go here. Um, so keeping in step with him and really listening to him. So here's some suggestions for just identifying with Christ. One uh, is have single-story conversations. So the last time we talked about this, I called it don't sanitize your conversation. So I could talk to my believing friends and my unbelieving friends about the same topic, but I might leave Jesus out of the mix when I talk to my unbelieving friends. But if God's doing something and, and he's a part of the conversation, then don't sanitize your conversations, but have one-story conversations. Um, inviting your friends to, to different activities. Invite them to church. Invite them to barn dances, parties at your house, Christmas Eve service, um, treat street, pool parties, Easter service. All these things that we do like this, they're meant to be an opportunity for you to invite people to a non-threatening church event. Trace was telling me about someone who invited a friend to Christian Challenge, and uh, that person came to faith, the person that they invited. They weren't a believer, they came to Challenge, came to faith. The person who invited them doesn't go to Christian Challenge anymore, but they, they had invited this person, and it was important in their life. So the other way uh, that I've tried to identify with Christ is praying for my friends' needs, not my believing friends, but my unbelieving friends, praying for their needs and even telling them. I have a friend who's trying to start a business and he's looking for a location. And so we've talked about that some and I, I've just told him, hey, I just want you to know I've been praying for, for you to find just the right location and that you would know just the right place to have your, your business. And so that's allowed us to have some spiritual conversations. Um, but identifying with Christ is, a, is another way to just season your conversations with gospel reality. So you can talk to your partner about this for a little bit. What are some ways that you have identified with Christ in relationships? Are there times that you've dropped the ball? Um, and if so, how have you responded um, if there have been times that you've, you've dropped the ball in this area? Um, one of the things that Heibel said about that specific question, 
was when he's kind of gone off track or not been faithful in a person's life or said something to offend them even, it was really helpful for him to go back and just apologize to his unbelieving friend. And it was like, wow, you're apologizing to me. That was a real testimony to God's work in his life. So talk about this for just a minute, and then we'll move on to the last one here. So the last one here is plan, which is plan to involve others in sharing the gospel. Um, Involving others is really where group life intersects with personal evangelism. When we met the last time, uh, Terry introduced or we talked about these three M's of group life, meetings, mission, and member care. The meetings when we get together, member care is caring for each other's needs. Maybe it's um, baby showers, wedding showers. Um, just helping, helping each other out. And then mission, what we're talking about today, looking to see where God's at work and joining him. So involving others in sharing the gospel is looking where mission overlaps with meetings and where mission overlaps with member care. So here's just a couple of suggestions. We've talked about this before, but just a reminder, um, meeting and mission overlap. This is a question you could ask in your small group. Who is one person in your life that you're praying for Uh, to come to know Christ? Um, Who is one person that's not here tonight, a group that you'd like to be here? Kind of the empty chair practice. Some people have used, they have an empty chair in groups kind of to symbolize, hey, we we want people to be here. We want to be reaching out. So looking for ways to have mission and meeting overlap. Member care and mission overlap. When you have a night out, if you're in Tim DeFore's group, your night out is you go to Dart Wars, is what I've heard. So if you're, you know, they, they have pretty fun nights out. But a great way to, enter, uh, to invite your non-Christian friends uh, to your night out. When there's a baby shower, a wedding shower, making sure that you talk to the person who is, you're hosting the shower for to say, hey, do you have any friends that we should invite um, that, are, that are unchurched uh, that we could invite to your, to your shower? When you have opportunities to serve each other, we helped Brian Prane move a couple weeks ago, so that, and most of his small group was there. A great opportunity to invite a non-believing friend. Hey, can you help Brian move? And good chance for him to meet other, other believers. Um, in John 4, Jesus has this encounter with the woman at the well. Um, and it's a great demonstration of personal evangelism. But then he says to his disciples, um, Don't you have a saying, is it still four months until the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes, look at the fields. They're ripe for the harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you've not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. When I've read that in the past, I've focused on Look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. And I've missed Jesus' words where he says, the sower and the reaper will be glad together. This is a team activity. It doesn't matter who gets to sow or who gets to reap. They both rejoice at the harvest. So plan for ways for your church friends to be around your unchurched friends. You might sow seeds in someone's life and someone else might get to be the harvester like Trace was talking about with Tom. Um, so be faithful to that. Bill, Bill Hybels, in his book, he calls this cross-pollination. 
So getting people who are close to God around those who are far from God and just seeing what, what God might do. Um, so that's, that's, that's the, the last one I want to talk about is plan, involving others in sharing the gospel. So we're not going to discuss this time, but there's some questions up here for you I'd just like for you to think about. Um, there, you can go ahead and go to that slide, but we won't talk about them. You can just think about these personally. And then the last activity there is, as you look at these practices, because you're doing a lot of these already, I'm sure, maybe put a check mark next to what you're already being faithful in. And then you might circle the one that you want to, to grow in. So this is just personal reflection time. So I'll be quiet and you can go through this activity and then I'll conclude. So um, our evangelism philosophy, one word, faithfulness. And we want to be faithful in the right column and trust God with the results in the left column. And the way we can be faithful is pursuing these different practices. Pray, pursue people, prepare, preach the gospel to ourselves, practice, have a gospel presentation memorized. And when we have opportunity to sow seeds, identify with Christ by proclaiming and then plan Think of ways to get other believers involved uh, in our unchurched friends' lives. I think if we incorporate these disciplines faithfully with an eye to help people come to faith in Christ, then we can know that we're being successful uh, in evangelism because faithfulness is our goal. And Jim and I are going to be putting together a, a, a study that you can use in your groups. We're almost done with Romans. And we get done with Romans, there'll be a Sunday or a, a group a week early in December, I think the first week of December, uh, that you could go through evangelism in your group and introduce some of these practices and talk about them uh, with your group together. So let me just read this one verse, uh, and then I'll be done. This is Proverbs 3, 3 through 4. It says, Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart. Then you'll win favor and a good name with God and man. If we can approach evangelism, I think, in our role as a leader with love and faithfulness, we can be sure that we're always winning. Regardless of the results, we want to be faithful with what God has called us to.